Here we go. Okay, Luke uh, chapter 18. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read it. It's only eight verses. And uh, then uh, I'll make some comments on it. And like I said, we'll see how far we get. But if you're there in your Bibles, if you want to follow along with me, uh, Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 1, we read, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, uh, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, uh, saying, There was in a city a judge which feareth not God, neither regarded man. Uh, And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, uh, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual continual coming uh, she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, uh, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Now, um, I believe that chapter 18 is a continuation of what Jesus was uh, speaking to his disciples uh, previously here in chapter 17 uh, about the coming of the kingdom of God. Uh, This parable uh, follows, uh, this parable that follows about men ought always to pray, uh, I believe is is an exhortation uh, that is fitting for those like you and I who are looking for the coming kingdom of God or, you know, listening for the trump of uh, of God to uh, come and take us to be with him to be forever with the Lord <clears throat> now we have uh, the blessed advantage of having the uh, complete word of God in our hands and we know that the kingdom that Jesus had spoke about here in Luke 17 has been uh, temporarily postponed that's what uh, Romans chapter 9 10 and 11 are all about Uh, it has been uh, temporarily postponed because of the religious leadership of Jesus's day Uh, they refused to believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah that he had come uh, to offer the kingdom, and so um, they, uh, so so the kingdom is uh, was postponed. Uh, they were uh, told uh, that that uh, later on in Luke, and we'll see this. Uh, so. Uh, so what what we have here is uh, an exhortation for those of us who are waiting uh, for the kingdom, this postponed kingdom, uh, during that period of time uh, uh, prior to the kingdom coming. I believe that this is an exhortation for us who who are waiting to not grow weary in our waiting and therefore in order for us not to faint in order for us not to become weary in order for us uh, to not faint uh, we should always pray always pray now earlier in Luke's gospel uh, when one of the disciples had asked Jesus to teach them how to pray when Jesus um, um, in Luke chapter 11, when Jesus uh, 
was going to teach them how to pray, he gave them this this model prayer that a lot of people call the Lord's Prayer, and really I think it's the disciples' prayer. But if you remember, within that prayer, within that model prayer, uh, we have this. It says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. So though the the coming of the kingdom seems to be slow in coming, uh, what, almost 2,000 years by now? Uh, the disciple of Jesus Christ, you and I, who are believers, who are saved by the, the blood of the Lamb, uh, we are to pray, right? Thy kingdom come, uh, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. That's what we should be praying for. And as we pray for the coming kingdom... Uh, we are not to become discouraged. We are not to become faint, but we are to persist in praying uh, for the coming of his kingdom with the assurance that the Lord will indeed come, won't he? Sure he will. He's going to come at the right time to deal with his enemies, and he's going to establish his kingdom. We we saw that in this last chapter, Luke chapter 17. Uh, this is what Jesus alluded to in this very parable. Uh, we are getting ready to consider that he is going to come back and that he is going to avenge his own elect. Uh, look here in Luke 18, starting in verse 7. He says... <clears throat> And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? He says here in verse 8, he says, I tell you that he will avenge them uh, speedily. All right? So he will avenge them speedily. Uh, so uh, this is what we should be praying. We should be praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as, as in heaven, so in earth. Um, in fact, uh, in Revelations uh, chapter 22 verse 20 uh, we see the very last prayer in your Bible and that very last prayer in your Bible is found in Revelations 22 20 it says he which testifieth of these things saith surely I come quickly amen then here's the prayer even so come Lord Jesus. So there should be this anticipated assurance of the Lord's coming. Uh, We should be praying for the Lord's coming. Uh, Even though the Lord is delaying his return, even you know when his people are praying uh, for his coming, and even when those circumstances uh, begin to look very dark, and the adversary appears to be gaining the upper hand, uh, and when uh, the believer finds themselves in um, dire straits, uh, Jesus's uh, word here is uh, for us to take heart, uh, not to faint, uh, but to pray, because we've got the assurance that Jesus is going to come again and that Jesus will avenge his people. He will deal with the adversary. And so our prayer should be, in spite of the circumstances, in spite of the dark days, in spite of what's going on, uh, even so, come Lord Jesus, right? That should be a part of our prayers. Uh, When Paul wrote to uh, Titus, in Titus chapter 2 and verses... 
13 through 14, this is what he wrote to Titus. He said, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself a peculiar people, a zealous of good works. So, you know, we are looking for that blessed hope. And who is that blessed hope? The glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't remember the name of the old-time saint. Uh, I, I read it in, in a commentary or a biography or something. Uh, but this particular man, uh, one of the godly men back in the Philadelphian church age, <clears throat> but this godly man, every morning, when he would get up in the morning, he would pray. He would say, maybe today you will come. I pray you find me ready. He said, maybe today you will come. I pray you find me ready. What a, what a good way to start off your morning, isn't it? Uh, with the expectation of the Lord's return and with the desire uh, to be ready when he does return. Uh, we, we, we should pray for that blessed hope. Uh, pray for the, for the glorious appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ because he really is our only hope, isn't he? And, and when we pray this way, I believe that it helps to keep that hope alive in our hearts. Kind of like what Billy Graham once said. He said, I've read the last page of the Bible. It's all going to turn out all right. And and we know that, don't we? We know that as believers in Jesus Christ, that it will turn out all right. And so we should be praying, you know, thy will be done. uh, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as it is in heaven, so it is in earth. You know, and even so, uh, come Lord Jesus. So that, to me, I think is the is is the is the um, thrust of this of this passage here, but also I believe it, there's also a principle about men ought always to pray, uh, not only praying thy kingdom come thy will be done as it is in heaven so on earth but I believe it also applies to prayer uh, that uh, seems um, so long in being answered. Right? Have you ever prayed about something and it just seems like no answer is going to come? Um, I think the the application is is still true with that. That men ought always to pray. That the petitioner should should not faint in in their prayer life. Uh, now to to drive home this precept about prayer, uh, Jesus then uh, presents a parable. Uh, he often uh, used parables in his preaching, and a parable is simply a an ill. Illustration uh, taken from everyday life, uh, you know, something that anyone would be familiar with, uh, something that someone may even experience themselves, and he would use these these everyday illustrations uh, to teach uh, a. a um, an eternal truth, if you will, a spiritual truth. And he would use things like the sower of the seed, right? Or uh, about a rich man protecting his home or, or a fisherman, you know, in, in, catch, in uh, winning souls for Christ. In this case, what he does is he uses the story of a, of a woman who is uh, faced with an injustice uh, perpetrated upon her by an adversary. And who does she go to uh, but a jaded, uncaring judge? Uh, and he uses this parable 
to to teach his disciples an important principle uh, concerning prayer. Now, when I've heard this uh, taught before in the past, it's always about uh, the resolve of this widow and how we, like her, uh, should be persistent in our prayer in our in our prayer life, and uh, we should do so. Uh, being persistent, uh, not being weary, and if we are persistent, then uh, we will receive an answer to our prayers, whether it's, you know, it's a yes or a no, whatever. But you know, in other words, the main thing is, is that we are to be uh, persistent in our prayers, and and yes, I, I agree with that. I think uh, that uh, that is the point uh, that men ought always to pray, uh, not to faint. I think we need to be uh, persistent in our prayers. I think. Uh, persistent prayers is a, is a good exercise uh, for God's people to be involved with and to make a part of their life. And I know of some persistent uh, prayer folks. We call them prayer warriors, don't we? Yeah, there are some folks who are very persistent in prayer. But I believe there's other things that can be gleaned uh, from this parable. And I hope uh, to challenge us uh, to look at this p- uh, passage about this uh, widow, about this widow, uh, from a different perspective, maybe, or in a way that uh, maybe you've never thought of before. And so let's take a look at this uh, this uh, parable here. And I'm going to start here in verse 1. And it says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And then he gives this story about this widow. Now here's the the first thing uh, that I want you to see, uh, and that's this, that uh, persistent prayer, okay, persistent prayer is the necessity brought on by the circumstances we face uh, due to the conduct of others toward us or in reference to what is required of us to attain some end. Let me say this again. Persistent prayer is the necessity brought on by the circumstances we face due to the conduct of others toward us or in reference to what is required of us to attain some end. Uh, This is the meaning behind the term, men ought always to pray. It is the necessity lying in the nature of the case, okay? Uh, With this widow, her petition, her persistent petitioning was was called for because of the judge and because of her adversary. Her persistence was due to the nature of her case, all right? Uh, Many of us have faced or maybe even now are facing uh, circumstances that necessitate your persistence in praying to God about. You see what I'm saying? Uh, So it is it is a necessity uh, brought on by the circumstance, our persistence in prayer. Now the risk that we face is this uh, and that is we may faint we may faint uh, due to the 
pressure of our circumstances uh, because uh, we experience no relief from our circumstances. Uh, it seems as if uh, we are getting no answer from heaven. Uh, we're getting no relief granted to us. Therefore, what happens is, is we begin to falter, we begin to faint, and then we come short of some end or purpose. Right? So persistent prayer is necessitated because of our circumstances, and the risk that we face is that we give up. That we give up. That's what the word faint means. It simply means to roll over. It means to give up. It means to lose heart or the will to to continue to continue on. Another way to think about it, when you uh, faint, is to settle for less or to forfeit something that is rightfully yours to the circumstances you are experiencing. All right, uh, to settle for less or forfeit something uh, that is rightfully yours to the circumstances you are experiencing. That's the risk we run when we faint. Uh, when you faint, you not only lose heart and the will to go on, but in addition, uh, you lose something spiritually tangible or of eternal value. Essentially, what you do is you give up ground to the adversary. That's what you're doing. You're giving up ground to the adversary. If this widow in Jesus' parable had lost heart and she stopped petitioning this judge to avenge me of mine adversary, then she would have forfeited uh, whatever the adversary was attempting to take from her. And so she would have succumbed to whatever injustice her adversary wanted to commit against her. She would have rolled over. Uh, Jesus says men ought always to pray, right? Men ought always to pray. But uh, I ask myself, what is the purpose of persisting in prayer? Uh, what is the objective involved here in men ought always to pray? pray? Uh, perhaps more importantly, maybe the question should be, uh, what is it that the adversary is seeking to take that is not his to take? Maybe that's the question we need to ask ourselves. What is it that the adversary is seeking to take that is not his to take? I believe the objective is to be found here in this very same passage right here in verse 8. Look at verse 8 with me, the last, the last sentence in verse 8. Uh, Jesus says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? What an intriguing question this is. When the Son of Man uh, came the first time, he did not find uh, faith, did he? Uh, John, in John chapter 1, verse 11 says, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Now, it's true, a very small uh, nucleus of uh, uh, folks did believe uh, that Jesus was who he said he was. 
but the majority of the people did not believe and what they did was is they followed the lead of their leadership right and they received him not uh, so what was it that this generation lost what was it that the adversary took from them well uh, they lost the kingdom of God that generation didn't they uh, not only did they lose out to the kingdom of God but they also lost their land and their city and their temple right and uh, they became a people scattered across the globe so really ask yourself uh, when your circumstances uh, necessitate uh, your persistence in prayer what is it the adversary is wanting to take that does not belong to him Uh, we also know from uh, reading uh, the Bible that when Jesus uh, comes again uh, the second time uh, most of this world will be in open rebellion against him remember the examples of uh, Noah and of Lot well that's going to be that time Uh, there also will rise a, a leader who is essentially Satan incarnate, uh, that will prove to be a great adversary uh, to the saints of God during that time. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 20 through 21, we read, And of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up, and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows, I beheld in the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against him. That's speaking of the Antichrist. He's going to come and he's going to war against the saints of God. He's going to be a great adversary against the saints of God. But the point is, in in relation to the world's population during that time, uh, in the Great great Tribulation, when uh, Jesus is, is coming back, Um, And there may not be very many people left on the planet after all the plagues and the wars and and everything else that goes on. Yet, uh, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back that second time, uh, will he find faith faith on the the earth? Uh, Yes, he will. There will be a very small remnant that will believe in him, that will call out upon him uh, when he returns. But the, the majority of the world uh, will be in league with the Antichrist in open rebellion, and so that's you know that's an intriguing question to me. Uh, when nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Now, um, what about the church? You know, what about the church today? What we know of or what we think of as as the church in in general? Uh, when the Lord comes to take away his bride, uh, let's say he does that today. Uh, in what state uh, will he find those who claim uh, the name of Christianity? You know, what state will he find uh, what, you know, we all can s- think about uh, as far as the church? You know, I remember when I was uh, brand new in the Lord, I was saved, and uh, I came across a, a picture of uh, of uh, what somebody somebody had drawn, what they thought that the the rapture was going to look like, and and in this picture I saw all these little souls, you know, coming up out of airplanes and cars and graves, and you know they were all floating up, floating up into heaven, and um, you know there there were a lot of these little souls floating up into heaven. 
but you know, I'm kind of wondering uh, how many really will, um, you know, truly ascend when when the Lord calls His church. I mean, there are millions upon millions of people who claim uh, the Christian title and. Uh, one has to wonder how many of those are truly Christian, you know, and really how many will ascend when they are called up hither. Uh, I, you know, I don't mean to be, you know, mean or nasty about it, but it makes you wonder. You know, it really does make you wonder that when the son does come and call away his bride, uh, how many will there truly be? alive at that time I, you know i don't know it's just that's just something that intrigues me so i i say all this uh, to say what i believe is the thing uh, that the adversary is after right uh when uh, our circumstances uh, necessitate uh, the persistence of our of our praying to god i think what the adversary is after is your faith and my faith He's after our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's that's what I think he's after. Uh, you see, the adversary either wants us to lose hope, right? Or, at best, maybe to have a false hope. A false hope. Remember what Jesus warned about in Luke 17, 23? And they shall say to you, see here or see there, go not after them, nor follow them. Uh, you know, that's what he's after. He's after your faith. He's after your hope. He's after your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Uh, so I think the adversary, that's what, he's, that's what he's after. He's after our trust. He's after our faith, if you will. Um, our relationship with the Lord was initiated by faith. It is a walk of faith while we're here on this planet. Uh, we are kept uh, by the power of God through faith, and one day we shall receive rewards according to the working of our faith. And so it's our faith that I believe that the adversary is seeking to to damage or, or cause us to faint, to lose hope. Uh, now, when Jesus speaks of faith here in Luke 18, 8, uh, yeah, I think he's talking about uh, doctrine. I think he's talking about what it is we do believe, because after all, that is the foundation of, of who we are and what we believe. But I also think that it also refers uh, to, uh, in a very real and a very practical sense, about what it is we are trusting in Jesus for, that necessitates our persistently praying about. Uh, it is this unfailing trust in God, in spite of the necessities of our circumstances, that nurtures this persistence in our prayers to God. And this is what the adversary is seeking to steal away from us. Proverbs, uh, not Proverbs, I'm sorry, uh, Psalms 84 verse 12 says, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. Blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. You know, stop and think about it. 
people trust in all sorts of things, don't they? Uh, people trust in all sorts of things that that uh, make them feel confident or poised. You know, their education, their talent, their knowledge, their their skill. Uh, people trust in things that make them feel secure and and safe. You know, that's why uh, folks go out and buy these you know big cars because they feel secure and safe in them. Their money or whatever you know. So they they put their trust in things that make them feel secure and safe. Uh, they even uh, trust in things that may uh, give them courage or help them to act bravely in their circumstances. I mean, honestly, you know, be honest with yourself. I have to be honest with myself. Uh, there are times that uh, I find myself trusting in things uh, that maybe I shouldn't be trusting in. Uh, you know, I, so I have to remind myself that uh, really the only uh, true source uh, that I can trust in is the Lord. And I have to, sometimes I have to step back and, uh, and re-examine, re you know, um, what it is that I'm really trusting in. It's like that story of the, of the wealthy man that was observed stooping down and, and picking up a penny off of the parking lot. And a woman uh, went over and uh, berated him, uh, saying, you've got all the money in the world, and yet you stoop down and, and pick up a penny. What a miser you are. And the, and the rich man instead of getting angry at the woman, said, no, the reason why I picked the penny up is to read what it says on the penny. And it says on the penny, in God we trust. And he says, every time I see, a, when I pick up a penny like that, that's what I ask myself. Am I trusting in God or am I trusting in my money? So I think sometimes we need to take a, a time to evaluate, you know, what exactly is it that we truly are trusting? in. Uh, Psalms 118, 8 and 9 says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Now, I was told a long time ago that those two verses are the central verses of the Bible. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but you know what? Those are, if, if they were, then, then that's, that's good because that's exactly, uh, you know, where it should lie. Our trust should be in the Lord and not in man and not in princes or whatever else that we trust in. So when the circumstances uh, become overwhelming and the adversary is pressing hard against us and it seems as if God is indifferent to our cause, which he is not, okay? He is not. I've had Christian brothers and sisters uh, accuse God of not caring. He does care. The Bible tells me he cares. Uh, then uh, the, temp the temptation uh, to give in, uh, to roll over, right, uh, becomes very, very powerful, doesn't it? Uh, when our circumstances just appear to be just too much, uh, we have a tendency to want to just quit, to just roll over. Uh, sometimes the obstacles in, in this life uh, can seem insurmountable. I, I have some uh, dear friends that uh, just have gone through some, some terrible, uh, terrible things. And, you know, sometimes it gets so difficult that uh, it seems like we just can't go another step. And so to faint 
uh, to roll over, uh, to quit, uh, appears to be our only option. It appears to be the easiest of options to choose from, and it's not. Uh, ask yourself, what is it that the adversary is after? What is it that the adversary is after? I, I I believe I believe when I when I do this, you know, because you know I've 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 been pushed, uh, I've been compelled to quit, uh, to roll over, uh, to to settle for less. You know, I, I have I've I've been to those to those places. Uh, I had to ask myself, you know, really, what is at stake here? Uh, really, what is at stake here? Uh, you got to get past the, the smoke and mirrors, and you really got to consider what is really at stake here. And if we choose to settle for less in the matter of our faith in God's word, you know, where will that set our relationship with Jesus Christ? Where will it set our relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, the adversary uh, seeks to take from us is our trust in God. It goes all the way back to, yea, hath God said? That's where it goes to. It goes all the way back to that. I mean, if we, if we lose heart, uh, we lose faith in God's promises, and when we lose faith in God's promises, then we stop trusting in God, and when we stop trusting in God, and I'm not saying you've lost your salvation or anything like that, I'm just saying you've just given up. You've just given up. Then you lose hope, and when you lose hope, you stop caring, you stop living for God, you roll over and uh, this is exactly uh, what the enemy is working toward. Uh, the adversary wants you to quit. He wants you to roll over. He wants you to settle for less because he's seeking to take something from you that does not belong to him. So in this parable, it's not only an exhortation, uh, you know, men are always to pray, but I believe it's also in it a lesson on how we relate to God uh, through those difficult times uh, while we hope for the coming of the Lord and his kingdom. Uh, do we settle for the status quo uh, and the state of things surrounding us, or do we persevere in prayer, trusting in God through those necessities that come upon us in our circumstances, trusting that he will avenge his own elect in his time and in his perfect way. You know, what is it that the adversary is seeking to take from you? And are you going to trust God through those necessities brought on by your circumstances? You know, one of the things that impressed me about this parable is our Lord's use of a widow. Right as an example of of being relentless for her cause, uh, he uses a widow. Now consider this: uh, when the Bible talks about those who are the most vulnerable, uh, who is it that uh, the Bible generally refers to that are the most vulnerable? Widows and orphans, right? Widows and orphans. Uh, here we are presented with a woman, a widow who has all the odds stacked against her. 
She does. She has all the odds stacked against her. Uh, no husband, you know, to to take the lead, to champion her cause. Uh, no children apparently to aid her, uh, no status in her society, uh, none to defend her against someone seeking to take advantage of her, even even the one person who should champion her cause seems indifferent to her cause and wishes her to go away. Yet she doesn't roll over, she doesn't settle for less, she doesn't faint, but she perseveres. She perseveres and she's ultimately rewarded for her perseverance. You know, we as born-again believers, uh, we also have a promise of victory that is ours to claim. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 through 5, we read, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. You see what the adversary is targeting? Our faith, our belief, our trust in Jesus, the Son of God. But tragically, uh, many have rolled over, have allowed the adversary to snatch this victory away from them. Uh, And I would say to those folks, don't let the adversary take what belongs to you. Take heart and take back what is yours because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. You know, that he is our victory. He is the one uh, that has overcome the world. And because he has overcome the world, we can overcome the world. We can overcome the world. So don't let uh, the adversary take from you that which does not belong to him. Now, continuing on, I want to look at a couple of things uh, that this widow did and uh, and then try to make application uh, regarding our walk and and, and our faith and our trust and service to God. And uh, looking at the clock, I need to, I I know I'm not going to finish this lesson. Surprise, surprise, right? All right, so the first thing is this, and this this is very obvious. Uh, This is nothing that none of you uh, couldn't see for yourselves, but number one, this is it. Uh, She persisted in spite of the obstacles she faced. She persisted in spite of the obstacles she faced. Uh, This widow had the odds stacked against her. Uh, There was a great injustice being committed against her that threatened her quality of life severely. Yet, instead of rolling over, she stood her ground. She stood her ground uh, to to better appreciate what this uh, vulnerable yet persistent woman accomplished. Uh, let's take a look at the four obstacles that stood in her way. Any one of these obstacles would have been reason enough for her to become discouraged, right? Roll over and just quit. So let's look at verses uh, two through five. It says here in Luke 18, starting in verse two. Uh, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. So the very first obstacle that this 
Gal confronted was this judge. This judge. Now, this judge would be the equivalent to a sheriff or to a chief of police, a police chief. Uh, these men were either hired by Rome or King Herod, and their duty was very similar to the role of a sheriff or to a police chief. Uh, they were to oversee the, you know, the the civil laws and and, and be about crime prevention uh, in the villages and the towns and the cities that they served in. Now, unfortunately, uh, history has shown that many of these men uh, were either corrupted through bribery or uh, they kind of meted out their own uh, brand of justice that often proved to be fickle or unjust uh, to the to the victims involved. So when Jesus describes this judge in this parable, unfortunately, uh, this was a character that many of these people could relate to in real life because they would have all ran into at one time or another uh, one of these uh, uh, corrupted judges or one of these indifferent uh, officers of the law. Uh, This particular man was uh, irreverent. Uh, By his own admission, he declared that he did not fear God, nor had any respect for man. And, of course, being irreverent towards God would also make him irreligious. Or, in other words, he had no use for religion. So he was very secular in his thinking, right? He was very secular in his thinking. Uh, In effect, this man was an authority unto himself. After all, he was the only sheriff in town, and he would run things as he saw fit when he, you know, and when he saw fit and how he saw fit. You know, kind of like an old Western where you'd find a corrupt sheriff running his town, you know. So this widow had to make her appeal to a man who was irreligious, to a man who was irreverent. It was a system of justice uh, that was indifferent to her cause. Uh, This judge proved to be insensitive to her troubles and honestly he chose to ignore her hoping hoping that she would go away and stop bothering him. Kind of like a W.C. Fields type guy. Get away from me boy you you bother me. Um, You know the widow uh, you know could have allowed this man's attitude uh, to influence her uh, to quit. You know, what's the use? What's the use? And she could have allowed this man's attitude to 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 uh, cause her to lose heart, to faint, to quit, and to surrender to her adversary uh, what was rightfully hers, right? In application, you know, we we face a, a similar environment as as believers in Jesus Christ. Uh, do we not live in a secular society that, really, for the most part, is irreverent and, and irreligious, and even shows indifference? even lately now an intolerance uh, to biblical and and godly values. I mean, we live in a society that uh, really doesn't care about much of eternal value. Um, Their belief is, you know, what's happening here and now on planet Earth, uh, that's all that life is about, you know. Um, They don't care about God. They don't care about eternal issues. Uh, They have no interest in that pie in the sky because uh, they want their piece of pie now. That's pretty much, you know, our society. In fact, many uh, today look at religion 
as the cause of problems and not the solution. And I have to admit that in some cases, uh, they may be justified in, the, in their thinking because, uh, quite frankly, many of us, many, many Christians haven't behaved very Christianly. All right. So, so they look at religion uh, as a source of uh, cause of problems and not so much a solution. Now, of course, you know, at our church, uh, we don't preach a religion. Uh, we preach Jesus Christ and the Word of God. Uh, but even still, you know, we're surrounded by this uh, secular uh, value system. Uh, and these values are embedded in entertainment, uh, they're in music, you know, movies, television, it's taught in schools, it's taught in universities, it's what runs businesses and workplaces, and so we're, we're immersed in this, in this, um, in this environment. So, uh, the personal danger that we as believers face you know, not only just, you know, I'm not, I'm not talking about the, you know, so much the persecution and the intolerance uh, if, that we might experience for our faith. And in fact, if um, if you're truly, excuse me, if you're truly living for Jesus, um, that should be expected, right? I mean, if you're truly living your faith, you're going to go contrary uh, to this, uh, to these values, and it's going to be noticed. In fact, Paul said in Second Second uh, Timothy three twelve, he says, "Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution." So, if you're not being a jerk for Jesus, but you're, you know, really living your faith out in a biblical manner, uh, yeah, you are to expect some resistance. You're to expect some intolerance because you're going against the value system uh, of the worldly system. But what is crucial for us is that uh, when we have this pressure of this uh, of this secular uh, value system, uh, what is what would be so easy for us, and many have and this has happened, is that we become lulled into this same sort of attitude of uh, secular indifference. And what happens, and a lot of times unwittingly what happens, is that we find ourselves settling uh, for the status quo in life. Uh, what happens is we roll over and we give up to the system because it's so much easier to to uh, give in to the system than to persevere against the system. And this is what uh, Paul's warning to Timothy was. Remember I read Second Timothy 3.12? He says, Yea, and all that will God live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And he follows that verse with verse 13. He says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So society is not going to get better. Uh, it's only going to get worse. And so Paul is, is warning Timothy, you know, hey, live your faith, expect persecution. Society is not going to get any better. It's not going to get any better. And so since society is not going to get any better, uh, Paul continues and he gives Timothy this advice in verse 14. He says to Timothy, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. So Timothy, expect persecution. 
because uh, you're living your life contrary to the worldly value system. Also recognize, Timothy, that society is just going to get worse and worse. But then he says, Timothy, don't roll over. Don't give in to the status quo. What does he say? He says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. Persevere. Be persistent. Don't roll over. Don't faint. Huh. Isn't that what we learn from Jesus here in Luke chapter 18? Don't roll over. Be persistent. Now, I'm going to get a little preachy here. (laughs) If I haven't already been getting preachy. But uh, Luke 12.34 says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. All right? So, be persistent. All right? Men ought always to pray. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, as we wait for the kingdom. Uh, Americans spend annually an estimated $40 billion on entertainment. $40 billion on entertainment. Uh, $50 billion on cosmetics. $200 billion on sports. $110 billion on fast food. All right. I might, you know, and never mind. And $16.2 billion on pet food. Okay. Now, I'm, we're guilty on that. But on an average, here they are spending the, all these billions of dollars. On an average, Americans save $2,400 a year. All right. a year. They spend billions and billions of dollars on all these things and only save $2,400 a year. So, what do I take from this? Uh, One may safely assume that secular America pursues the reward pursues the rewards and pleasures that this life presents for them today with no regard for their future. You see what I'm saying? They're spending billions and billions of dollars on all this stuff, but yet as far as their future, as far as on this planet is is concerned, they have no regard for it because they don't put anything aside for that future. Uh, So if they have no regard for their earthly future, uh, then they certainly will have no regard for their souls or eternity. So naturally, uh, why should they be interested in the gospel or the kingdom of God? Because they're all concerned about the here and now, and they don't even care enough to set aside for the rainy day. That's, see what I'm trying to say? Okay, sadly, sadly, uh, many believers or those who claim to be Christians who should know better, uh, listen to this secular message about life and it becomes their pursuit, and it becomes their purpose as well. Uh, so what about religious people? Okay, Again, I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just simply trying to uh, give an illustration. Um, Christians uh, spent an estimated $4 billion on Christian-related apparel, apparel, all right, like jewelry and stuff. $84 million was spent on Christian t-shirts. $84 million on, on t-shirts alone. Now, in comparison, 
the amount of money given to missions was fifty million was fifty million dollars, or just a little over one percent of what Christians uh, spent on T-shirts. All right, uh, the average salary of a missionary on the field is somewhere between twenty and thirty thousand dollars a year. So Christians in America. Uh, spent more money on T-shirts uh, than they did uh, supporting missionaries trying to reach the world uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying <laughs> stop buying T-shirts. I'm not saying go out and burn your T-shirts. I'm not saying that. Neither am I you know, giving you a, a, a pitch to start uh, giving to missionaries. I'm just giving you an illustration uh, to kind of give you a perspective on uh, American Christians' priorities. Okay, American Christian priorities. Uh, the first obstacle this widow found herself uh, facing was a uncaring, indifferent, irreligious, secular system. This judge. Uh, the first obstacle we face as believers in Jesus Christ is the constant hazard of adopting the values of this society uh, by pursuing worldly desires and becoming disconnected with God's purpose and values uh, regarding his mission. So what happens is, is we roll over. We give up and we settle for less. Uh, we settle for, and again, I'm not, don't misunderstand me. This is just an illustration. We settle for a t-shirt rather than a soul being one for Christ on the mission field. So, you know, kind of ask yourself, uh, when was the last time uh, you earnestly prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Right? If you keep that in mind, then I believe that will help uh, with this first danger that we face when we, uh, so, you know, so that we don't lose heart. I hope that made sense. Uh, the second thing that this, uh, the second obstacle uh, that this widow faced uh, was herself. Was herself. Um, when the scripture speaks of those who are weak at the mercy of others, like I said before, at the top of the list, it's the widows and it's the fatherless. This widow uh, could have adopted the attitude that she was nothing more than a poor widow who, who had no rights, you know, uh, that perhaps even it was wrong for her to expect justice, uh, that she didn't maybe deserve it, or maybe even it was morally wrong for her to pursue this matter. You know, maybe she could have thought that the adversary uh, had a legal claim to whatever it is that he was trying to take from her. Uh, she could have accepted her fate. Right, allowed her adversary to take from her what was rightfully hers to keep. In other words, she, she could have succumbed. She could have succumbed to the attitude of despair, and she could have adopted the attitude of, of a victim of her circumstances and just simply gave up, just simply gave up. Uh, some of us, I believe, have 
have allowed ourselves uh, to stand in the way of experiencing all that God would have for us or could work through us. We've we've somehow adopted the attitude that uh, we're not smart enough or we're not good enough or we're not clever enough or we're not this enough or that we're not that enough uh, that we couldn't possibly expect God to, to use someone like me. Uh, where's our focus at? Huh? Where has the adversary directed our focus? Is our focus on the Lord uh, and his ability to make us able? Or has our focus, has he somehow got us to where we're focusing on ourselves? Focusing on ourselves. Um, Then you've got other folks who are the other extreme. Uh, They're so self-assured about their talents, uh, so self-assured about their education or people skills or management skills uh, that they tend to forget God altogether. Right? Uh, they, in fact, uh, uh, they kind of get in God's way, uh, thinking that they know how to run things better. So, like this widow, uh, many of us are our own uh, worst obstacle. <laughs> our own worst obstacle. I recall hearing about a meeting had uh, by a prominent church. Uh, the pastors and the leaders of the church were were in this meeting and they were asked uh, what they all considered the biggest obstacle that they faced in accomplishing uh, what they wanted to accomplish in their particular ministries. And of course, most of them said uh, money was the obstacle, or some said that they lacked the the equipment, such as sound equipment. Others uh, complained that uh, they had inadequately trained uh, personnel uh, to help them. And then uh, the pastor of the church, um, uh, he was asked, you know, what was his biggest obstacle uh, in in uh, in uh, you know in, in the ministry, and he said himself. He said himself was the biggest obstacle in ministry. Now, I know this pastor, and I know uh, what it is he meant by what he said, that himself uh, was the biggest obstacle. Uh, He knew that with God all things are possible, but that uh, many of us, uh, we make the mistake, and uh, we get in the way, and we uh, become an obstacle. Uh, we ourselves become an obstacle. Uh, we, you know, we make excuses. We, we say, you know, we're not, we're not qualified, or, or whatever. Uh, and often, what we do is uh, we hinder uh, what God can accomplish uh, simply because of ourselves. Because of ourselves, uh, this widow, right, uh, could have allowed uh, whom she was. As, as well as her situation in life, but she could allow, uh, she could have allowed whom she was uh, to be cause enough to quit, to settle for less in life. Uh, a favorite verse of mine, one that I uh, quote a lot, is uh, found in Philippians 4.13 that says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Uh, when you look at this verse, you see I and me on the outside uh, with Christ 
in the center, with Christ in the center. You know, the Apostle Paul was a very capable man. He was very gifted. He was intelligent. He had wisdom. Uh, Yet he recognized that his true source of ability was not so much in himself, but was found in Christ. Uh, He made Christ the center of his life, and that was what strengthened him. That's what strengthened him. And many of us need to learn this lesson and relearn this lesson, and that is to make Jesus Christ uh, the very center of our life, the very center of everything that we are and and do and who who we are. Uh, Make Christ the center. Uh, then uh, the third ad- the, the third obstacle this gal faced was the adversary, uh, the very cause of the injustice. Uh, this widow had an adversary who was attempting to do a great evil against her, one who was attempting to take advantage of her, uh, to severely impact the quality of her life, uh, quite possibly scheming to deny her of some property, maybe, uh, something that was rightfully hers. And, you know, we, we also face an adversary that seeks to deal us a great evil, don't we? Uh, he seeks to steal from us uh, or dis- you know destroy us in some way. Uh, first uh, Peter 5.8 says, be sober, be vigilant, uh, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Uh, and that's something he, he wants to deny us, uh, is this abundant life that we have in Jesus Christ. Uh, he seeks to uh, rob us of our joy by entangling us in sin, uh, to keep us from living a victorious life and, and settling for a mediocre life, a status quo life. Uh, he wants to keep us out of the mission. He wants to redirect our focus on t-shirts rather than the souls of men and women. Uh, John 10.10, I think Ron Casson quotes this uh, verse often in uh, John 10.10 it says, the thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. Then he says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Uh, Satan is 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 very active in opposing God's will and purpose on earth, uh, and you know Satan is very active in in in, in trying to push his plan uh, in, tr- in in on this earth, and he seeks to neutralize you and to neutralize me from uh, God's mission and experiencing uh, God's power in our life and and God's blessing in our life uh, that abundant life uh, that our Lord Jesus Christ promised to those who follow them. Uh, he, he doesn't want us uh, to, to live this victorious life and to take this wonderful message to other people. So he seeks to take that away from us. He seeks to steal that away from us. Uh, the one thing that the adversary does not want to happen is for you uh, to discover uh, that uh, that what our fallen society is teaching us, and that it and that is this: he, he life is an in in itself. You know that's a colossal lie. Uh, the real living is to live your life for Christ, to daily die to self and live unto Christ. That's the real life. That's the only true life to live. And he doesn't want you to live 
live that life. He doesn't want you to live that life. Um, there is a, a great injustice, if you will, being perpetrated on believers in Jesus Christ. Uh, the adversary will use every means at his disposal uh, to, to, to have us uh, settle for less. He wants us to settle for less. He does not want us to experience this abundant life that comes from knowing and following the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's trying to take it from us. Uh, He will threaten. He will lie. He will tempt. Uh, He'll even allow you to be as religious and and as busy in church as you want to be as long as you settle for less and buy into the status quo. So that adversary is all always out there, always active, always seeking to take something from us. And then I'm going to close with this fourth obstacle, the obstacle of time. It says here, and he would not for a while, he would not for a while, time. Uh, The Lord does not say how long this judge kept delaying his judgment regarding this woman. Um, whether it was days or weeks or months, whatever, this woman remained persistent in her petitions for justice. This woman remained persistent. Uh, this little four-letter uh, word time is mentioned uh, some 562 times in the Bible. Uh, time may be the most uh, potentially dangerous obstacle uh, to uh, our, our relationship with God and in our persistence in prayer and in our risking in in fainting and rolling over. Um, One reason is because time is stealthy. It is stealthily steady. (laughs) It is stealthily steady. Uh, Time like a river just keeps flowing along, uh, carrying us with it until one day it uh, casts us up on the bank like a dead fish and then leaves us behind. Uh, When we were young, right? Uh, We believe we have all the time in the world. I'm going to tell you something. The older I get, uh, the more I realize how little time we really truly have. Um, Some say that time has a way of of sneaking up on us and then just steam rolls right over us. Uh, So time, time is an obstacle. Time is an obstacle. Uh, Another reason uh, that time may be an obstacle is because of our hasty nature because of our hasty nature, especially in this matter of men ought always to pray and not to faint. Uh, we, we are a very hasty uh, people, impatient people. And especially in our instant uh, society, uh, we become impatient when our computers uh, take more than 15 seconds uh, to boot up, you know. Uh, For many of us, we think that that 15 seconds is an eternity. Um, uh, You know, we throw a burrito in the microwave for one minute and we hit the button at 55 seconds. You know, we can't even wait another five seconds to get our hands on a burrito. Um, This is is the mindset of our society. And unfortunately, it's the mindset of a lot of Christians uh, concerning God. Uh, If God doesn't come through in 60 seconds, then I'm shutting him off in 55. Uh, You you know, sometimes uh, it takes time. Uh, You know, when we persistently pray, I know of folks who have been praying 
about things for for years and years and years. Uh, George Mueller, he had some folks that he was praying for, you know, for years and years and years. And these folks uh, that he was praying for to get saved, when he died, they still had not gotten saved. And the story goes that these very men that he, George Mueller had been praying for, I think one of them got saved at his funeral, and the others within a, a year or two, uh, they themselves got saved. So time, time is a big, big obstacle when it when we have to persistently pray, when we persistently pray. Uh, Proverbs 21.5 says, uh, the thoughts of the diligent uh, tend only to plenteousness, but everyone that is of that is hasty only to want only to want sometimes uh, we don't want to spend the time it takes uh, to to pray uh, sometimes uh, we don't want to spend the time it takes to persevere in a matter uh, sometimes uh, we are more willing to give in to the necessities uh, that are pushed upon us because of our circumstances, uh, because we don't want to persevere, uh, take the time uh, to, to pray through the situation, to pray through the situation. So uh, this, this, the, this widow faced all of these obstacles, and yet she persisted. She persisted. Why did she persist? What was it that made this widow, who seemingly had all of these matters against her, uh, all of these reasons for her to quit, to roll over, to give up, to settle for less, what was it uh, about this woman uh, that made her persevere in her cause? Well, that'll be our topic uh, for uh, the next time we get together, because I don't have the time to get into it. But what is it? What is it that causes you to faint? And what is it that the adversary is seeking to take away from you? What is, what is really the issue uh, behind the, that which necessitates you to persevere in prayer? Uh, so that will be our lesson uh, for today, and I'll take it up next week. What was it about this woman uh, that caused her to persist? that caused her to persist. So I'll close in a word of prayer. And uh, thank you, everyone, for uh, being a part of this. I, I do hope and pray that you were blessed by it, you got something out of it, uh, something that would be able to help you. We thank you, Father, in Christ's name, for your word. Thank you, Lord God, for, for Jesus Christ, Father, and his teachings. Thank you so much for his person. Thank you so much for your spirit within our lives. We pray, Lord God, uh, that we would indeed be people who persevere, uh, Father in heaven, who would not lose hope, that, Father in heaven, we would they uh, pray like that old saint uh, that prayed uh, uh, about, uh, Lord, I pray that you come today, and I pray, Father in heaven, that you find us ready. Find us ready. We thank you and we praise you for your love, for your son, uh, for for your word, and for, for all that you do for us. Uh, looking forward to the day, Lord, when we hear that voice that says, come up hither. We're looking forward to that day. And even so, Lord Jesus, please come. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so long, everyone. I pray that you have a blessed day. Make sure you tune in uh, to Brian here at 1030, just 10 minutes away. And uh, 
hopefully uh, we'll see each other soon. Hopefully we'll get through the month of May without any hiccups, and uh, we'll be able to meet together uh, as a class once again inside the building. So uh, God bless everyone, and uh, I'll be signing off now. And click.